0: Greetings, I'm Bishop Chester Wright and this is uh, the video series, The Voice of God in the Church Today. And today uh, we're going to teach Lesson 3. And uh, the beginning point of the consideration of this lesson is learning to hear the voice of God. Okay, Brother Wright, the first two lessons, you've convinced me I need to hear the voice of God, but how can I do that? Well, we're going to begin to explore uh, that possibility. But again, allow me to drive the nail in deeper. I want to start right at this point once again, just adding a few more touches at the beginning of this lesson to convince us that First and foremost, God wants every one of His children to know and hear His voice. I'll read quickly, because I've already read these verses in a previous lesson. John chapter ten, verses one through five, and then verse sixteen and twenty-seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on uh, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Let me stop here just one moment. I didn't make this point the last time in this series that we looked at these verses. But how does it say that the shepherd leads his sheep? By his voice. What are the sheep following? The shepherd's voice. Verse 5, and a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of the stranger, or... They, they know that the stranger's voice is not their shepherd's voice. Verse 16, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I I must bring, and they shall hear his voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Verse 27, he concluded chapter 10 with this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So it is very critical uh, since faith comes by hearing, hearing by the utterance of the living voice, rhema, speaking to us so that we could have faith, then being able to hear the voice of the Father is absolutely necessary. And again, I'm reading verses I've already read for the sake of redundancy or repetition at the beginning of this new lesson. Romans 10, verse 8, But what saith it, the word which is rhema in the Greek, is nigh thee even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that is the word, rhema of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Rama of God, the word of God. Now, let's talk about spiritual hearing for a little bit. How many times does the word of God say, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The command to hear, to hear carefully and diligently and to heed what we hear is very pivotal to our salvation, to the work of the kingdom of God through us. Jesus repeated, repeatedly exhorted his disciples to hear and, and, and spoke specifically to those who had ears to hear. Matthew 11:11 11, 11, Verily I say unto you among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taketh it by force For all for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and it will and if we will receive it this is Elias which was For to come, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Obviously, he's not just talking about the physical ability to hear sound and process it. He's talking about the the ability, the spiritual ability to hear words and hear that they are from the Spirit of God and to understand what they mean. Mark 4, 9 says, and he said unto them, he that hath ears, let him hear. Mark Matthew 13, 9, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Mark 7, 16, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. The Lord, speaking through the Apostle John to the seven churches of Asia, frequently spoke specifically to those that who had ears to hear, What the Spirit was saying to the church. I'll tell you how frequently. Seven times he said it. There were seven churches. And each one of those churches, there was a message delivered uh, by God to the, the King James says, the angel of the church in each one of those cities. The Greek word there is, uh, yes, it is most frequently translated angel. Angel. But it's also translated in various parts, places of the Bible approximately eight times as messenger. And in most of those cases, it was referring to a human messenger. And we know that the messages that God gave to those seven angels uh, that He does not hold angels accountable for the spiritual condition. Of any specific church. So those had to be the men who were accountable to God. For the spiritual condition of that church. And he delivered a message. And when that message was delivered. He ended every message with something along this line. Seven times he did it. He that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. Now you know by the mouth of two or three witnesses try seven. Let every word be established. What's established here is our spiritual hearing is absolutely critical. It is not, there is no substitute for, for the absence of the ability to hear spiritually. There's no substitute for it. It is, it is irrevocable in its necessity. There is no substitute for it. Jesus cost us to take heed not only what we hear, but to take heed how we hear. If we take care how we hear, can we have more confidence in what we hear? Mark chapter 3 verse, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4 verse 23 says, If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto him, verse 24, Take heed what, what you hear. Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet it shall be measured to you and unto you that here shall be shall more be given. The word what there is in the Greek is an interrogative pronoun which means who, which or what. So take heed what you hear, not who, but what. In Luke eight eighteen, Luke eight eight and Luke eight eighteen. The scripture says, "And the other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold." And when he had said these things, he cried, "He that hath ears to hear, let him hear." Verse eighteen says, "Take heed, therefore, how you hear, for whosoever hath, it shall be to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have." Take. The word how here in the Greek literally means in what way or manner, by what means. Take heed how you hear. What does that mean? I can hear by the flesh. I can hear by the spirit. I can hear the spirit of God, uh, spirit of the Lord speaking to me, either directly him speaking a rhema to me or taking me to his word and speaking to me through logos or I can choose to let my flesh speak to me, society, people, family, friends speak to me, the world, or the devil speak to me. I can let it, I have to choose who I'm going to hear, what manner or what means I'm going to hear. Because as simple as this sounds, it's absolutely true. What we hear is determined by how we hear. Because if I'm Listening to the Spirit of God, it will determine what I can hear. He that hath the ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saying to the church. If I'm not listening by the Spirit, then I'm not hearing what the Spirit saying. So what we hear is determined by the means, the manner, the methodology of our hearing. So to fully understand the Lord's message about hearing, let's consider the message in its context. To effectively do that, we're going to use a different approach by commenting within the text itself. It's uh, stopping and commenting, and I'll read the comments that are in the notes here. Uh, I'm going to read a lengthy reading in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4 verse 1 where we will begin. And it began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into the sh- ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sword to sow. Note, hearken in the Greek means to hear, and he spoke. It was spoken in the present imperative tense, which is a command to do something in the future, which involves continuous or repeated action. So he wasn't just telling him, listen to them, listen to the words that I'm about to say to you in this setting. He was saying, I'm commanding you to listen now, and this listening now should promote or provoke you to be involved continuously and repeatedly in the things that I'm speaking in the future. Not the things he spoke in the future, but the things he spoke about in the future for them to be involved in and do. Verse 4, I'm reading again. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some sixty, thirty, and some 60 and some a hundredfold. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Note, Jesus made it clear that his story or parable was a test of spiritual hearing for, for each individual in the crowd. So he spoke a parable to them knowing that some were not going to get it and that others would because it was a way to test their spiritual Hearing, Verse 10. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. In other words, Jesus is stating that our hearing determines whether or not we know or underst- and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The Lord always, and it's no different today than it was when he walked the face of the earth as a man, the Lord always communicates in a manner and by a method that always reveals the source of our heart's ability to hear spiritually, always, or said another way, it always reveals whether or not we have a spiritual ability to hear or we don't, always. You would think, well, just say it, Lord, so everybody can get it. No, no, that's not the point here. The point is, it's a test. And what, what does a test do? It reveals what's there or not there. That's what a test does. Verse 12, that seeing they may see. Let me read verse thirteen or verse eleven, and then into verse twelve. And he said unto them, "Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear, they can hear audibly the story, but they don't understand the story because they didn't hear with spiritual hearing. Lest at any time they should be converted, their sins should be forgiven them." The opportunity to hear is afforded to everyone, but the inability to hear spiritually prevents many from being saved. Lord, help us. And then he said, verse 13, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? Jesus implies that if they have the ability to hear and understand in one area of spirituality, then we are also able... To hear in all areas. He does not change his manner. Or method of communication. If we learn his voice. In one area. We know his voice. If we know him and his voice. It doesn't matter what the setting is. Whether we just got bad news. Medically. Or whether we got a promotion on the job. Or whether the there's a message or a lesson. That's just been preached or taught to us. Or an angel shows up, or we hear the gifts of the Spirit ministering to us, or a friend says, I was praying for you, and the Lord wanted me to share this with you. It won't matter, because his method and manner of communication doesn't change. Now, the, the, the instrumentality might, but his voice is his voice, is his voice, is his voice. Once we become tuned into the voice of the spirit, we're able, then able to hear him anytime he speaks to us about anything. Again, the ability to hear and understand what is determined by our being able to practice the how of the hearing. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. Now he's explaining to them the parables. The following verses make it abundantly clear that that sowing of the seed of the word of God is done by speaking it. The corollary is that the ground responds based on how they hear what is spoken to them. Ground Ground doesn't have ears. No, it doesn't. But in this parable, the ground represents the souls that are being preached to. The ground of their heart, the soil of their heart. How will their spirit hear? How will their heart receive? Verse 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16. And these are they, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure for a time afterwards when affliction and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. This isn't talking about somebody mocking you because you're a Christian. It means you're going through a trial and your faith and trust in the word of God's being tested. So you heard it and received it with gladness. But you're, you didn't hear it with the depth of understanding and the degree of faith that enable you to th- survive and thrive through your trial. And when God lets us down, which is the opinion of the thorny ground, or excuse me, the stony ground, they're, we're offended and we depart. And then verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Such as hear the word. They receive the word. The word grew. And the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches. And the lusts of other things entering in. Choke the word. And it becometh unfruitful. Choke the word. And become unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word and receive it. The implication is and believe it. Because the word produces. Brings forth fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. Again, in each of these four scenarios, each type of ground produced based on... Not just did they hear, but how they heard. Because how they heard affected what they heard. Only one of the four types of ground heard what the Spirit was saying to them. The differences in results are plain to see. Verse 21, And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or bought, or brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? And not to be set on a candlestick. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was there anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. Verse 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Again in our note here. Consider the conditional approach of this exhortation. It is assumed that if someone has the ability to hear spiritually that they will do so. Therefore, if someone is not hearing accurately, there's something wrong or missing in their ability to hear. Because what he says next in verse 24 is, and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you and unto you that heareth shall more be given. unto you that heareth. It doesn't again, the implication here is this hearing is those who hear spiritually. In Mark's account emphasizes the what. Luke's parallel account of this emphasizes the how. Verse 25 of Mark 4 ends this way: For he that hath to him it shall be to him shall be given, and he that hath not From him shall be taken even that which he hath. So when I don't have because I don't hear, I'm ultimately going to lose what what little I do have because I don't hear. One more time, what we hear is determined by how we hear. If we have no supernatural ability to hear spiritually, then we cannot hear what the Father is saying to us and or to his church. Now let's look briefly at Luke's account of this same passage. There will be no notes in this, and I'll read quickly. But the readers asked to carefully consider how even more specifically Luke's account emphasizes the point of the ground hearing the word. Luke 8, 4. And when much people were gathered together and were coming to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trotted down, the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, Let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given another mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Then those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. They heard it. They didn't receive it. They heard it. Physically, they heard it, but they did not receive the word. So therefore, they did not believe the word. Those that are by, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and take the word out of the hearts, lest they should be, should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. These, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And they which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. In other words, it grew for a while; it looked good, but all of a sudden it stopped producing. Verse fifteen. But but, on, but that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. No man, when he has lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, put it under, or put it under a bed, but sitteth on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known and come aboard, abroad. Take heed therefore how ye hear. Verse 18. For whosoever hath From him shall be, uh, for whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. It's been said many times in this section. We must know how to hear spiritually, not naturally. What the Father is saying to us. Hearing naturally or intellectually will always result in hearing wrong. Hearing naturally or intellectually will always result in hearing wrong. Hearing spiritually glorifies God as the source. Hearing naturally glorifies man and his own brain. We must take heed how we hear. We can then take heed what we hear. Now, the last part of this particular lesson is uh, some of the most clear, plain teaching anywhere in the Bible on the results of hearing his voice and the consequences of not hearing his voice and saying that we have. I'll say that one more time. The the verses that we're about to read, what we're going to finalize this, this particular lesson with, they clearly, plainly, emphatically state the results of hearing his voice. But they also clearly, emphatically state the consequences of not hearing his voice and saying that we have. The consequences to us and those who are dependent on hearing God's voice through us, which is the collective body, are very significant. And I'm going to say the difference here right now. Every last one of us as sons of God are expected to be able to hear the voice of God for ourselves because we've got to have faith, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God. So individually, we must be able to hear the voice of God. But collectively, collectively, God doesn't speak to us individually for the body. He speaks to the body. And there's no conflict between, there's not, shouldn't be, if the word of God is the judge, the trial, the, the, the that which is we, we try the word by or the, the message by or whatever. But the word to me individually may or may not be the exact word. To so the church, they won't be in conflict, but they could not be the same because the word to me is for my part. The word for the entire body is the big picture word. And that's the word that has to be received by those we trust to minister to us. Pay careful attention in these scriptures to the Lord's attitude. Towards those who present themselves as having heard from God and did not. Then consider carefully the promised results of hearing the voice of God. And then causing his people to hear his words. Here it is. Jeremiah 23 beginning with verse 16. Thus saith the Lord hosts. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesied to you. Lord, I thought we were supposed to be listening to the men of God. Not to those men of God, men of God, supposedly men of God, that make you vain. The word vain means empty, useless, worthless, ineffective. How How could somebody minister to us? And their actual ministry to us. Be the source of us being made vain. That's what this verse is saying now. So what is it? What is it about these people that the Lord of hosts is saying to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah the prophet. To us, do not listen to, the, to these prophets. This, this I'm going to tell you who they are. Because when you listen to them. They make you vain. They are the ones who speak a vision of their own heart. And not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say God spoke to me. And, they, and even if they don't say the words. In our culture. By standing in what we call a pulpit, or at what we call a pulpit, in a raised area we call a platform, or some designated area in whatever facility you're in. Or standing before the people with a Bible, Bible or an iPad, whatever. By doing that, you know that we believe, and know that you're implying, that you are speaking for God to us. And if you're not, you sure ought to say so. It'd go, be- it'd go better for you if you did. If you just got up and said, now the Lord didn't say this to me, but I decided I'm going to say this tonight or today. At least you'd be honest. Now your words aren't going to help us because it, Jesus said, the, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So that if you want spirit and life, the word's got to come from God. But at least if you be honest about it and just say, Hey, I preached this message someplace before. They all jumped and shouted and ran around. So I thought I'd preach it here tonight to see if you'd do the same thing. It doesn't make it less wrong, but at least the curse isn't there because you're not proposing that you are speaking a vision from God, a word from God. Verse seventeen: They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, "You shall have peace." And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imaginations of of, their, of his own heart, "No evil shall come upon you." What? what uh, let's let's take that down in our day. There's people sitting out there listening. They're not committed, they're not a disciple, uh, they're walking in secret sins. And we're getting, getting up and saying from our own heart, and representing ourselves as if we're preaching a word from God. And said, it's all okay, everything's going to be fine, you're doing well, everything's doing well, just keep on going like you're going, everything's alright, it's no problem. I had a man that I loved and respect. He's no longer with us. But he said to me and another fellow, we were working together to work for this person. And he said to us, I only want you to be positive now, guys. No, I don't want any negative stuff. If I hadn't respected him so much, I'd have walked away right then. But I also knew that even though that's what he said, he also knew I was going to say what God gave me to say. And he was present when I said stuff that was not positive. But God said it. And not one time in over 10 years of working with him did he ever come and rebuke me for saying what God said. So I understood what he was saying. I did when he said it, and I did all those years because I was not rebellious to him when I obeyed God. He wanted us to be positive unless the Holy Ghost gave us something absolutely different to say. Well, verse 17 is pretty positive, isn't it? To those that despise him, they say, the Lord said you're going to have peace. To those that are not walking after the word of God, but according to the imagination of their own heart, here comes the positive message. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. So much for the benefit of being positive when it didn't come from God. But here's the contrast. And oh, please see the contrast. Because it's startling. So you got up and you said this stuff and... God didn't speak to you, he prophesied out of your own heart. But here's the plea from the Holy Ghost. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? And and before he could continue the thought, he, he, he expresses himself. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. What wicked? Those that are saying God said and didn't say. The anger of the Lord shall not return until ye have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart, in the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly. Woe be to the preachers in this latter day of mankind. He preaching for effect and preaching for response, and not preaching the word of God, whether they sit at you and stare or pick up stones and stone you. you, Not your problem if you're a servant of God. If you're God's man, God's woman, God's mouthpiece, appointed by God like Moses was, called to be, not your problem. It's not your problem. It's not your problem to make it harder than God says it. It's not your problem to make it easier than God says it. It's not your problem to make it serious when God's letting it be a lighter approach. And it's not your your right to make it a, a lighter approach when God's making it a heavy approach. Because you're only supposed to be his vessel. Saying what he says, say it. The way he says, say it. Where and when he says, say it. Not adding anything to it or taking it away. So, if I read verse 18 and 22 together, you will see the thought together. And then we'll read the stuff that interrupted, and you'll see why... He interrupted his own thought, his own positive thought. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard? Verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. What a positive message. But what he said in verse 16 and 17 was so repulsive to him. He couldn't even, couldn't even speak the positive message as a whole without the, the revulsion of his spirit coming out. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return till he have executed, till he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days he shall consider it perfectly. And then he identifies the ones he's got a problem with. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But these very ones that are supposed to be my men, I called them. But they're pleasing people with their oratory, their eloquence, rather than speaking my word in fear and trembling of me, in the fear of the Lord if we don't speak in the fear of the Lord, people aren't going to hear the fear of the Lord. And the scripture says, by the fear of the Lord, men shall depart from evil. There's no fear of the Lord before their eyes, the book says. That's why they're The world's in this kind of condition because there's no fear of the Lord before their eyes. I'm not talking about preaching fear. I'm talking about preaching in the reverence and the respect and the, yes, fear of the Lord. That as long as I am doing what he says do the way he says do it and that... I'm repentant of my sins and forgiven for all my sins. Then I don't have to be afraid, but I, I, I stand in the reverence and respect of God. But if I'm not doing what I should do, there ought to be some fear there. Because if I don't have the fear of the Lord manifested positive by reverence and respect when I am obeying Him and walking with Him, then the people I'm preaching to are not going to have any fear of the Lord. And they're not going to be turned but he promised me this. He promised every one of us this. But if they had stood in my counsel, and he caused my people to hear my words, then they then should have then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I just that is so. What a challenge by God! If I'm preaching to people that aren't changing. Then I have to question this. Did I really. Wait on God. Until I. to what I got I really knew was God. And not just the direction. But all the parts to it. Rather than putting together my introduction. And my three points. And my illustrations. And my conclusion. And giving my public speech or writing out the script and performing it dramatically and calling it preaching. He challenged me that if I, if I, verse 18, if I stand having the counsel of God and I per- because I've perceived and heard His word, I've stood in His counsel because I've perceived and heard His word, And I've marked his word and heard it. And then I've stood before his people in his council. And by his anointing and authority, I've caused his people to hear his words. I'm going to have results. Conviction is going to fall. The spirit of the Lord is going to move. The spirit of repentance is going to come to the place. A spirit of rededication, consecration is going to happen then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. It's written as if the speaker of the word is the one that turns it. But it's not written because the one speaking did it. But it's trying to emphasize the point. That the one that's speaking, speaking the rhema of God is so critical that the very fact that they commit themselves they speak in only what God has spoken to them and nothing out of their own heart. Not preaching for popularity, but preaching for God's approval. And if we would just do that, that the very act of doing that would release the word to change those lives. And then to confirm all that's been said, he continued. Verse 23. Am I God at hand, saith the Lord? And not a God afar of off? Is the reason you don't have my word? Is I'm so far away? Jeremiah said, Your sins have separated between you and your God so that he will not hear you. So if I don't have a word from God to speak to his people, the fault's mine. And the reason is because I have allowed sin to separate me from my God. And the one who is near at hand and wants to reveal himself close by feels as though he's way off. Verse 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I do not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth? Okay. Okay. You feel It feels like I'm afar off. You've gotten up and preached because it was expected of you to preach. Because you're getting paid to preach. That's your job to preach. But you hadn't been able to hear from me because you're involved in stuff you shouldn't be. And you think you've got that hidden from me. And you get up standing before the people as if you heard from me. And yet I'm right here. And you're not hidden in secret from me. The people may not know what you're doing. But I know it. And the reason you're not speaking my word is the stuff you're involved in. Oh, it the things you're doing may not be sin, but being involved with stuff so you have no time for me and for my word in letting me prepare your heart and life to be my vessel and putting the word in your heart and letting me quicken the word that I want that's in your heart so that I can speak through you what I want. That's the sin. That's the sin. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. God help us. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams. Which they tell every man to his neighbor. As their fathers have forgotten my name from Baal. The prophet that hath a dream. From me is the implication. Let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word. Because he's heard it. He has been with me. And he's heard my word. Let him speak my word faithfully. And then he asks this question. That's not rhetorical. It is very revealing what is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord. There is no comparison to the wheat from which we can make the bread of life. The rama is that seed, that grain of spiritual wheat from which the bread of life can be made. Versus words that are nothing but chaff and the chaff of the ungodly. So the chaff here is the words of the ungodly. Words that they stand up before people and pretend and propose to those people that God has spoken to them for those people. Let me tell you what. They're as far apart as wheat and chaff is. But the Lord didn't stop there with the comparison. It's not my word like as a fire saith the Lord... And like a hammer that breaketh rock in pieces. My word takes the cold places and sets them on fire. Because we're supposed to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And when the fire's going out someplace. That rhema of God will bring repentance. And he'll set it on fire again. And get it blazing for the Lord. And if there's resistance there. That rhema of God will break that resistance into pieces. So the will of God can be done. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He, God, saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, cause my people to err by their lies, and their likeness no spiritual substance that's what chaff is there's no spiritual substance yet i sent them not nor commanded them therefore they shall not profit this people at all in fact all the way back in verse 16 their ministry makes his people vain empty useless worthless notice this before i close this lesson verse 30 therefore behold i am against the prophets saith the lord that steal my words every one from his neighbor somebody spends time with jesus committed dedicated studies god speaks to them they get up. They speak that rhema as God has given it them to speak. And stuff happens. Now sometimes that rhema spoken to the, to the people of God, the man of God that's listening. They hear that. And it's quickened to their spirit. And then at some point as they take that and that word begins to work in their life and it becomes a part of them. There may very well may be a time that God will then quicken that word and it will be his rhema through them. And it may, they may even quote some things they heard. But it'll be rhema because they spent time with God until it became theirs. For them, not for a future message, but for them. For their growth, for their understanding, for their correction, for their edification. And then, you go from there. And you go, uh, how about those that get get the recordings or go online and maybe they go to some, preach it. Preaching.com, whatever. They go listen to people preach messages and take notes from them. Or their websites now, boy, they'll give you the outline. Some of them actually sell you the script. It's bad enough if it's man's script you're performing or man's sermon you're performing. But if that originally came from God and the merchandisers of it, are selling it and then you're taking what was God to that man and through that man and you've stolen it and now you're representing that you got it. God have mercy on you. This is not going to be a popular statement, but the hottest part of hell is going to be reserved not for the worst sinners that we know of because the blind lead the blind, they all fall in the ditch. But the worst part of hell is going to be reserved for the man that is recognized as supposed to be a true man of God. Who's finding shortcuts because of his lifestyle. Because he doesn't really have currently a relationship with God. Can't hear from the voice of God. But he's going to keep on performing. And performance it is. He gets his accolades and his paychecks. And that's the reward the Lord says you're getting. And that's it. Because right behind that reward is the judgments of God. God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the spirit of the fear of the Lord would come upon us and that the spirit of conviction would come on us and that a spirit of revival, recommitment, rededication And a hunger for God and the things of God and the word of God would come upon us afresh and that we would dedicate. One of the verses that was given as a young man that has been the rule of my life in more ways than you can imagine. Proverbs 18 and 1 through desire. Desire for God. Desire for the things of God. A desire to understand and know the word of God. Through desire, a man having separated himself. Not from bad people. Just separated himself unto God. Seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. That's what we've got to be. That's what the apostles realized needed to happen. In Acts chapter 6. They'd gotten so busy with the the affairs of the church that they neglected prayer and the ministry of the word and they repented and listened to God's direction on how to fix that. And when they did, the results were the word of God increased and the disciples were multiplied. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that by the grace of God, we will either return to being the men of God, the people of God we should be, whether it's in a Bible study or a small group or any other place of ministry, or that we will further dedicate ourselves to be a God's man, God's woman, not for sale, either selling ourselves and our ministries for accolades or for gain. But seeking to please only one, the one that called us and the one who sent us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this will be so. Amen.